0: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hey, friends, welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And tonight, our focus, as we get ready to head into the 4th of July holiday weekend, is on our community's health. We will certainly, as we have for the past two and a half years, get you the very latest on where we stand with the COVID-19 pandemic. We will also check in as we enter the holiday weekend, give you some valuable information, because obviously COVID is very present in our lives still, thankfully not to the degree it has been. But what we should all, advice we should all take as we try and maintain some, some of these key precautions and avoid uh, getting the COVID nineteen virus, so we'll do that in the first half of our program. In the second half of our program, each three years, our community undertakes a survey of its community health needs. It's called a Community Health Needs Assessment, which is a CHNA for short. And the Tri Cities, Benton and Franklin counties, in particular, is in the midst of gathering that data over the course of this summer in preparing a three-year. Uh, analysis of what the priority community health needs are in the Tri-Cities area. So we'll spend some time in the second half of our program talking about how you can take part in that and contribute your input, uh, which is vitally needed to really map out our future uh, importantly relative to community health. But first, we're going to get you caught up with the latest on COVID-19. And we have Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, you always send me uh, kind of the latest information as we head into each Wednesday of our program. And the note that struck me the, the most was the very first line of the piece of paper that you uh, shared with some information. Day 876 of our incident response due to the COVID pandemic. So what's that back to February of 2020? Man, just an initial reflection, as I say, 876 days of this.
1: I, I know when I calculated that out, because we've been at this at the health district for for a long time, and when I actually saw that, you know, day 876, that made, you know, quite an impact on me. Uh, the health district has focused so much of its attention on, on COVID response and COVID mitigation in the community. You know, the good news is, um, as we have moved along and we're seeing data, you know, significantly better than it was several times throughout the last 876 days, we're, we're hopeful that we won't go back to some of those really high rates. We won't go back to our hospitals being stressed um, But honestly, we still need to continue to be cautious and we need to be on guard and making sure we're we're being very careful with how we conduct our lives. You know, when we look at, say, the Benton County data, we're unfortunately increasing like we have been over the last couple of weeks. We're up by about 18 percent. Franklin County is seeing a bit more of a jump. It's up by about 45, 46 percent over the last reporting period. So, you know, again, we we continue to inch up with our as we look at our data, and then we continue to again look at that wastewater and the concentration of virus found in the wastewater. And unfortunately, it's certainly going up, and that's such a good indicator on the community level what's happening rather than the individual level. So we know that our metrics are, are going in the in the wrong direction, but not in some of the extreme spikes that we've experienced over the last 876 days. So we need to, you know, as we go forward, especially looking into the summer and this upcoming Fourth of July weekend. Once again, it's a reminder to don't let our guard down. Uh, continue to use those mitigation strategies. And especially in the summertime, we, we think that being outside and in fresh air, in, in the sun and outdoors, that COVID is not as great a risk. And it isn't. When you're outside and the air is flowing or you're in your house and you have the windows open, yeah, that does decrease your chance. But we're also heading into some really hot times. The, the temperature is going to go up. And we're going to find people leaving the great out of doors and heading inside into air-conditioned areas just to um, get some respite from the heat outside. And, and that's where crowding can happen. And that's where you need to plan ahead, keep masks handy just in case you find yourself ending up in a crowded environment indoors with people that, you know, you're concerned about that exposure. You know, and the second thing is, as we're heading into travel season, and as you travel about the country, make sure you're looking at what the COVID rates are in the communities that you're, you're going to be visiting. We may be at lower rates here, but the community you're visiting could be seeing some spikes. And that would be an indication to you that, that you need to um, add to your mitigation strategies, including those masks, and maybe avoiding some of the crowded environments that we can find ourselves at during the holidays and when we're traveling. So just be very vigilant and be aware of uh, the environments you're in, what the data is showing in that community, and plan accordingly. Testing cannot stress more the importance of testing, whether you go to, say, the CBC West test site, which is is definitely seeing an increase in positivity rate but take advantage of those free home antigen tests that are still available through department of health and the federal government and keep a stash of those at home and use them frequently we really encourage people if you think you've been exposed or you're starting to become symptomatic if you get an initial negative test By all means, test the next day, because we have found that people may not test positive with that first test, and it may take two or three days. But while you're kind of watching what's going on with your test results, you also need to be really cautious about people you're exposing. Make sure you're wearing your mask. Make sure you're staying away from people and practicing all those um, protective measures so you don't by chance end up positive and then find out you've exposed somebody who get, getting COVID could be a very bad
2: situation.
0: Well, and as you touched on, I mean, I personally just in the last week or two have been notified that I was a close contact and, and the protocols that you put into place and having a supply of those tests and and, and it wasn't really difficult to do. It was just, okay, well, I'll test and I guess I'll test tomorrow and I'll test the next day. And thankfully so far it's been been negative. But is that what you're saying? It's not like it's that big of an imposition uh, just in order to enjoy the summer, but be cautious.
1: Right. It's, it's being cautious and it's protecting those people in your life where COVID could end up a very bad situation for them you know that you've been exposed, you're you're doing the right thing by testing and watching your signs and symptoms for COVID. But even more than that, you are protecting those people while you're waiting out those few days that you're trying to figure out, did I really catch COVID or not? And that's the beauty of having those free at-home antigen test kits. You can can do it every day. And um, then when you realize you're kind of out of the woods, okay, you didn't get COVID but having that information and that knowledge can really help guide what what you should be doing and 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 the prevention practices that you should be putting into place
0: and again as you touched on as the data suggests and and you have all these different data points obviously the 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 weekly numbers the hospitalizations which i know uh, continue to be happily Low at Cadillac. I think we've been running into the mid to upper teens when we were down in the single digits uh, a few weeks, several weeks ago. But it's been static, and it hasn't been up into the numbers that we were so concerned about uh, last summer uh, and the fall and the winter. But is that is that where we are? Just monitor this data, and, and I guess maybe the question would be: You know, we're in a manageable part what would what would result in a in a really concerning spike? would it be just a, the appearance of one of these variants again
1: I think you're exactly right Jim you know currently it's really monitor keep watching keep practicing good safety measures, but on the national level and certainly the c d c and world health all looking for those um variants that might be coming along that could totally change what's happening in our community right now. We're pretty stable, but we don't know if another more problematic variant is just around the corner, and that's why we really want to watch that data very closely so we can start anticipating if it looks like you know, one of those more lethal, more transmissible variants is starting to circulate in the world, and is it getting close to the United States? Is it getting close to our borders? And then that's the time we need to again maybe increase our our alertness and our concern as we watch uh, for those various um, variants that might be swirling around the world
0: visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton-Franklin Health District. She's going to be with us for one more segment. When we come back, we want to spend maybe a little bit of a different angle and talk about some of the the issues that we're seeing. We certainly have Fourth of July fireworks coming. The weather's getting warmer. Just a couple of quick safety tips that we can all uh, put in the back of our mind as we get ready to head into uh, the Fourth of July holiday and, of course, throughout the summer that we're all looking forward to enjoying. Back with more of Cadillac on Call in just a moment. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. We're visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, and we're going to shift our focus from the latest on COVID to where we are. Maybe some safety tips, uh, Heather, beyond COVID, that we can um, take into the back of our minds as we get ready to enjoy the holiday weekend. And certainly, I know probably first and foremost would be be safe when you're playing with fireworks. Would probably be number one, wouldn't it?
3: Oh,
1: absolutely. We know that every year. Um, kids adults animals dogs do get injured with um, fireworks and just being very cautious what you're doing with them and we know that the various cities have different rules and regulations about what you can and cannot um, use at this time of year so you know be very careful um, not not to injure people because they're they're avoidable and there are a lot of ways to celebrate the 4th of July without putting your your family, your neighborhood, your pets at risk.
0: And obviously the other piece that's of concern is because of the wet spring we've had, The the all of those grasses are just incredibly high, and as the temperatures get higher, they, the grasses start to dry out, and obviously that presents some pretty significant fire danger as well.
1: Right. Um, Again, this is the time of year we see fires happen because of fireworks, and then that increases smoke, and then we run into the problems with smoke related concerns, especially for people with um, health conditions, heart and lung disease. Uh, when the air gets really smoky, it, it can be very difficult for them to, to move about the community.
0: And going to tap into your uh, expertise as a nurse on relative to the heat. And I was looking back, interestingly, I think a year ago at this time, we were in that, what, 110, 115 degree range. So I was just looking on my phone and seeing upper 80s, low 90s over the next week to 10 days, much more manageable than it was a year ago. But still, uh, need to be careful when we're out in the heat, even when it's in the uh, low 90s, which may maybe seem more manageable for everyone.
1: You're right. And I think people need to be very aware of... How to conduct our lives, especially here in the mid-Columbia where it does get very hot, very sunny, uh, and and we do a lot of outdoor activities. So when you're going to be planning your activities, whether it be work or play, pace yourself. Plan to do your strenuous outdoor activities earlier in the morning when it's cooler. A lot of people think, well, I'll just take more clothing off and and wear shorts and short sleeves. Well, what we do know is getting sunburn actually makes things worse because sunburn causes you to get dehydrated. And so we actually encourage people in this kind of weather to wear very light, loose-fitting clothes and put on sunscreen to avoid sunburn, which does cause dehydration. Also be very concerned with infants, um, young children, and the elderly they tend to dehydrate very easily. And they, especially young children, may not be able to tell you that they're feeling particularly hot or that they're feeling thirsty. So we need to anticipate needs for them and make sure that they are taking care to hydrate and hydrate very well during the heat. This, this is true for your animals too. We need to be very careful that our dogs, our cats, our outdoor pets, are being considered and their safety for this time of year, assuring they have access to shade, they have access to cold water and they too can stay hydrated. You know, I personally have horses and goats and chickens and when, you know, besides dogs and cats and this time of year I do get worried and want to make sure that they have access to water and shade so that they can cool off as well because it can get very dangerous for them. And then that doesn't even um, talk about the fear and the risk of children or pets being accidentally left in a hot car or a camper or a trailer when you're out maybe camping and you leave the child inside, think they're sleeping. Well, you need to make sure that you're watching the temperature in those vehicles because it will go up very, very quickly, especially a car parked in your driveway, parked in a parking lot. Don't even think for just a second. I will will be right back. I will be right back for my child. It is so easy to get distracted, and it is so fast that our cars get uh, high temperatures that can be lethal to children. So keep an eye out on those kids. Keep an eye out on those pets. Don't chance leaving them in in a hot car for any period of time when it's hot like this. Um, Also, understand the difference between heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Heat exhaustion is, you know, typically when the person is feeling dizzy or faint, they have excessive sweating, cool, pale, clammy skin, rapid, weak pulse, and muscle cramps. That's heat exhaustion. Get them to a cool place, get them into air conditioning, pour water on them, get them to drink water, um, use cold compresses. However, heat stroke becomes a medical emergency because people do die of heat stroke and it's usually seen with a throbbing headache and the curious thing is no sweating, that's kind of your key that things are getting really bad. If you have somebody who is hot, red, dry skin and a rapid strong pulse, this is telling us that they're very, very close to perhaps losing consciousness. That is a call 911. It's an emergency, and you've got to get that person taken care of immediately because they can die very quickly from this.
0: You know, one practice that came very apparent during the COVID 19 pandemic was especially when people had to isolate and was the the practice where go check on your neighbor especially if you have elderly neighbors that may not be able to drive and things of that nature and especially as you touched on with the weather being warmer and hotter um, you know maybe get that practice not only to be neighborly but uh, take a moment and make sure as you're we're experiencing the the hot weather times and over the course of the summer to go check on that your neighbor to make sure they have what they need to be safe
1: right because many times some of our neighbors may not have air conditioning in their house and their house is getting very hot and it is so important that we keep an eye out for each other because we've had we've heard of those really tragic cases where somebody does die at home as a result of heat and, you know, the neighbors didn't check on them. So do the neighborly things just like we have with COVID. Check on each other. Make sure they're doing okay. And then encouraging each other to continue those good health habits that will keep them as safe. And saying, please, if you're running into problems, give me a call. I'm here to help you.
0: And finally, I think probably one, one comment to really touch on is is... Uh, our waters, we we love the rivers, we love the waterways, the swimming pools, and, and with the warm weather comes the desire to get out in the, in the waterways. But I know the currents of the rivers are still pretty rapid, aren't they? And obviously that water does not get as warm as we would think in the backyard pool.
1: Our rivers are running very fast and very cold right now. It was a heavy snowpack. We've had snow for a lot longer in the mountains than we've had for the last few years. It's starting to melt. And so we know that our rivers are very dangerous right now. Make sure you're using flotation devices on every person in your boat, not just the kids, because you, the adult, need to be able to help those children. And if you don't have a flotation device on and you're knocked unconscious or you're struggling without a flotation device, you can't help those young ones in your boat. So everybody in the boat needs to have flotation devices on, not just available. Because, again, if you're knocked unconscious, you you can't put the flotation device on at that time. Or a tragic accident could happen and you can't get to that flotation device. So, you know, practice really good water safety, especially when you're around um, those
2: fast, cold running waters.
0: Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much, as always, for your time. And again, we're entering our third Fourth of July weekend in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's by far the best state and condition that we've been in. Let's hope we can keep it that way. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call in just a moment. And welcome back to the program. Catholic on Call is presented by the Catholic Foundation. And every three years, Benton and Franklin counties undertake what's called a community health needs assessment. When they gather data and information from throughout our two-county region to find out what the most critical health needs facing our region are over the course of the coming three years. And certainly uh, when it happens every three years, I'm guessing that uh, probably the 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 priority issues don't change from period to period but that's why they do this to see if they do. And so we're great g- glad to have with us tonight uh, Dr. Amy Person who is the District Health Officer for Benton and Franklin Counties and and Dr. Person first of all uh if you would I know the data is being collected over the course of the summer but as we look at uh, the current health needs assessment uh if you could give us a quick summary of what those priority health needs are as you see them today?
2: Uh, That's a great question, Jim, and it's actually one that we're still looking to answer. Uh, One of the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic was that it started right at the time that we were working on our improvement plan from the last community health needs assessment. Uh, So as you can imagine, uh, COVID disrupted that work the much the way it disrupted so many things. Uh, So we are going to see priorities from the last community health needs assessment that will be still coming forward, um, primarily the ones around behavioral health challenges uh, and also around housing and homelessness. Um, We're still looking at the um, data and assessments and and some other information to see what other priorities we need to focus on as a community.
0: So with that, I guess, let's just go into the current data collection. You use a lot of different sources of information to gather information. So is that where we're at now? It's just to try and gain an assessment of, of what that data, collecting the data, and then obviously interpreting it as the next piece.
2: And, and I'll say it's actually um, even more than that. And to me, this is the really the best part about the community health needs assessment process, uh, because it isn't just looking at the numbers. It's looking at a number of other things. It's looking at the attitudes of the community. What is the community um, ready to tackle? What do they feel like um, are the at- Assets. What are the resources we have in the community um, to tackle? What's most important um, to people? And are there individuals or groups in the community um, that are struggling more, and do we need to look at how we can help them? Um, I'd say this is similar to um, if you're uh, diagnosed with diabetes, um, you know, there's the assessment piece where this is the number, this is my blood sugar number, or this is my hemoglobin A1C number. But if I'm really going to get better, it's not going to just be about the number. It's going to be about what am I ready to do for myself, um, who can I look to to help me, whether it's my uh, doctor, my family, my, my friends, um, other community resources, so the community health needs assessment is really the same process, but at a community level, not at an individual level.
0: And you touched on, for example, behavioral health. That just covers so much ground. And I know it's a it's a daunting problem, frankly. And in spite of where we've been with COVID, I know there's there's been a lot of work and effort put in to at least build partnerships. So that it can begin to make progress, have we, in spite of where we've been with COVID, are we are we at least starting to to, to crack uh, some progress in that arena?
2: I will say yes and no. Um, part of uh, I'll say the the hidden um, upside um, to COVID um, was the changes it made in making some resources available for example the use of um, telehealth. Uh, I think it also helped to really uh, bring those issues to the forefront for everyone um, so that there is um, a bigger push to do something about some of them whether it's youth suicide rates or whether it's um, overdose fatalities Um, We're seeing progress being made in uh, getting a recovery center and detox facilities here in the Tri-Cities. So I think some of the acceleration in those efforts um, means we are making progress.
0: What about the area of housing and homelessness? Obviously, it's tied very closely. These are all interconnected to, to behavioral health. And is that what you mean by, I guess we keep hearing this word in healthcare and community health, access to care, and it's more than just, you know, how long does it take to get into a doctor? Talk a little bit about, from a public health perspective, what you define access to be.
2: Well, when we're looking at access, and, and I'll say in public health, we're actually looking at, I'll say, access to health, not just access Um to care. Uh, So do people have the things they need um, in order to be as healthy as they want to be? So you're right. It isn't just how long does it take me to get into my doctor's office. It's um, do I have access to nutritious food so I can the right things and stay healthy do i have access to uh, places to walk so i can be physically active do i have access um, to a stable place to live because if i'm always worried about where i'm going to sleep from night to night um, i'm not going to be able to focus on anything else so everything many of these things are all Interconnected, And that's part of our um, challenge, and I will also say uh, part of our uh, success is when we bring groups together that are working on all of these different pieces uh, and look at how can we all work together to push everything forward. If we improve uh, availability of affordable housing, uh, it doesn't just help those groups who are trying to improve uh, homelessness in the community. It also improves things for the groups that are working on um, helping behavioral health challenges be overcome or helping access to nutrition.
0: And I know that cuts across all age spectrums, right? And, And probably people would be, horribly saddened in in every case, but especially to know that there are children in our midst, in our communities that face these very same challenges and very, very difficult situations.
2: Yes. Um, that is, um, I think, one of the, I'll say the tragedies in, in our country, um, that we do see this uh, across the entire uh, spectrum. So our youngest ages, and, and unfortunately I'll also say our our older ages, our aging population also faces um, greater risks with some of those struggles around access to, to food to That's um, part of what we like to focus on and what we'd like the community to focus on in the community health needs assessment is um, are there groups that face higher risks, and what can we do as a community to support them?
0: Visiting with Dr. Amy Person at the Benton Franklin Health District, and we're talking about the community health needs assessment that's being undertaken in our community. It happens every three years, and during the months of March, and uh, I know there was a community survey where folks had the opportunity to conduct some uh, answers to some uh, survey questions relating to some of these pressing health needs. And I know, Dr. Person, uh, I'm reading here on Tuesday, July 12th, uh, the morning of Tuesday, July 12th from 9 to noon at the United Way building in Kennewick, there's an opportunity for an in-person meeting to provide some input. And then there's a virtual meeting on July 14th from 5 to 7 p.m. What is the format? Is it just a case where people will be able to verbally be guided through questions on some of these issues that you just are addressing?
2: The sessions we're going to have in uh, July uh, will be a chance for people to see the data that we've collected, um, which we'll look at not just uh, the numbers, but some of the trends. um, How have we changed over the last few years? How do we compare um, to the state as a whole, Um, so people will be able to um, give us their sense of uh, where they think we need to focus um, our efforts, but they'll be able to do it not just um, based on their own knowledge, but using um, their insights on the data, so I think it'll be uh, exciting for people to see. And to hear about, and I'll be um, curious um, to see if people are surprised by the data or um, what they'll be willing to share with us about where they think we need to focus um, our efforts as a community to improve the health of everyone.
0: So, at this in point, in Franklin County. So, at this point, it's a case of gathering the information, sharing kind of some of the initial data and what you're learning. But the the open when is the what is the timeline for when the twenty twenty two I guess the the final at least assessment is available to really review and start to dig into
2: the assessment. Um, our goal is to have that um, available and completed um, by um, I believe uh, end of September or, or early October, um, and that will sort of move quickly into the community health improvement plan where we'll actually take uh, the data and our priorities and start um, really coming up with what are we going to do about it. Uh, so it's kind of a non-stop process, which is good, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yes, the, the full report um, will likely be available uh, by September, October of this year.
0: We're visiting with Dr. Amy Person, the district health officer with the Benton Franklin Health District. She has graciously agreed to stay for another segment. We want to dig a little more deeper on some of these priority topics on maybe where we're seeing some progress uh, in spite of this COVID pandemic on what we've been making uh, to hopefully improve the health throughout our greater Tri-Cities area. Back with our remaining minutes of Cadillac On Call in just a minute. Back to our conversation with Dr. Amy Person, the District Health Officer with the Benton Franklin Health District. And we're talking about the 2022 Community Health Needs Assessment that is currently underway in Benton and Franklin counties. And really, it's a pretty apt description of what is happening. The county is doing a wide array of surveying opportunities to find out really what the true priority health needs are of our region as we move forward. And Dr. Person touched on how The COVID-19 pandemic probably maybe didn't necessarily change what these priorities were, maybe probably more magnified them because they might have been the same anyway. But I guess I would ask you, as you look to three years from now, say when we are in 2025, what would improvement look like to you?
2: Improvement would be that... um People who have behavioral health challenges um, have access to the services that they need. Um, We see more uh, individuals uh, in stable, affordable housing. uh, Educational needs are being met. Um, We see uh, improvement in uh, Youth mental health, um, a decrease in some of the uh, hopelessness um, that we've seen, I think, uh, exaggerated or uh, aggravated by the pandemic. And, and ideally, uh, from the public health standpoint, since uh, we really uh, would prefer that. We don't have to uh, find ways to improve treating people who are sick. We would prefer that uh, we can prevent people from getting sick in the first place. So th- those are going to be our goals. I'm not sure in three years we'll see uh, huge swings. We know these are um, big problems, and they take uh, time. To improve. So we'll be looking that we are making steady progress and that things are moving forward and not backwards.
0: That was kind of my next question of, of the fact that it's not like every three years it's going to be three new ideas It might be th- or three new ish pressing issues. It might be the same issues. It's just there are different components of the same issue. And does that, I guess, tie back to the initial question that we talked about at the beginning of this interview of why it's important to do this health needs assessment?
2: Absolutely. Um, it's uh, important um, to do it regularly so that we are able to, To measure our progress, uh, even if it's to say uh, we thought this, a certain issue was important, um, but as we made changes to it or or made improvements, um, we didn't see the impacts that we wanted. Uh, So, again, it gives us a way to measure the the health of the community, but also to measure um, the impact of the choices that we make as a community to address these problems so it's an it's an ongoing cycle and that's how it should be Um, that we don't ever take for granted that um, the answer we come up with today is going to be the single be-all answer that fixes everything
0: i'd like to conclude with maybe a trying an an optimistic tone and that's the collaboration that is in play in our community, obviously the health district organizations like Catholic health, our health institutions, there are community, the community health Alliance I know is a very robust and active organization within the community. So there's a, there's a good network of people working on this, aren't there?
2: Yes. And that is um, really one of the great things about, Uh, the Tri-Cities and and Benton and Franklin counties, is that there are many organizations and many people um, looking for ways to help the community. Um, Working through the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we saw new partnerships um, coming up, um, particularly with, you know, groups that um, may have been helping uh, some of the community members that we haven't always been able um, to reach before. So we will be looking forward to continuing um, to build on those new partnerships um, to help us, again, help everyone in the community.
0: And maybe a final question for someone who happens to be listening in their car, listening at home, or maybe on a podcast uh, later in the week or next week as as we come off the air. What would your advice be to what role does Joe Q Public, as they say? What what role does does do they play in all of this?
2: Everyone in the, in the community, I'll say, you know, really plays a a key role because um, everything we do, whether as an individual, as a family, um, as in the you know, an employee or an employer is impacting health. Might be your own health, might be the health of your family, um, or again, that of your coworkers or your your neighbors. Uh, so, this is really an opportunity for everyone to take a moment to think about um, what am I willing uh, to do? What can I do? Um, And let's, again, let's just all um, find a way that we can um, work together because we know that when everyone in our community has an opportunity um, to get to their highest level of health, it isn't going to be just good for them and their family. It's going to be good for our community as a whole, people who are healthy, they're better workers, they're safer workers, they're, they're more productive workers, people that are healthy and are enjoying being out in a community, and that makes the community more vibrant, makes other people want to be part of that community. Um, so again, when we help others, we're helping ourselves as well.
0: Dr. Amy Person with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for being generous with your time. Again, two opportunities for you to learn more about this. One is July 12th. That's a Tuesday from 9 to noon at the United Way Building in Kennewick. Or a virtual meeting is being held Thursday, July 14th from 5 to 7 p.m. Go to the Benton Franklin Health District's website to get more information on how you can attend either of those two sessions. Our thanks to Dr. Amy Person. Thanks to Heather Hill in our first half hour. And thank you for watching. Have a great week, and we'll talk again next week.